welcome one and all once again to the Man of Steel cast. Uh, we're entering the final Christopher Reeve Superman film with Superman 4, A Quest for Peace, which of the five films you've seen so far in the six overall will be the only one with an actual subtitle. Um, joining us this week, as always, we have David. In the words of Christopher Reeves, the less said about Superman 4, the better. And we have James. <sighs> we're finally here. We're finally here. I am going to spoil this ahead of time. I enjoyed this more than Superman 3. I do too. Um, So, it's not the worst film that we've seen in the saga, so that's good. Uh, But, I mean, to kind of dial it back a bit of stuff from the beginning, from the get go, this seems like a poor man's version of Superman. Um, The opening credits are scaled back. The opening theme isn't as grandiose. The special effects are really terrible in this film. And I, I mean, I think the technical mishaps are really what keeps this film back. I mean, just kind of going back, and I've read about this. I, it seems like Chris, uh, not Christopher, John Williams didn't record any music for this, but he did have a, he had to get his protege help, and it kind of feels that way. <laughs> Because, like I said, with the opening theme, which we get back after Superman 3 did away with it, it it's, the, it's the Superman theme, but it feels like it acts that energy. Yeah. The, the, the Really, the, the whole case of this movie was, you know... So there's, there's really sort of two stories about this movie, what they wanted to do and what happened. And then what more or less it comes down to is, is uh, Warner Brothers wanted someone to share the financial burden of the film. So Canon Films came on... And Canon Films apparently, I don't, they, they were sort of the DreamWorks of their time, I guess. They were doing like 40 films in one year. And they otherwise had their money so spread thin that they cut the budget for Superman 4 by so much that actually 45 minutes of the film had to be cut from it, from the original script. So so really, what all of these poor effects and all of this, uh, it, it really comes down to just them running out of money for it. And so there was otherwise grand ambitions for this, but they just ran out of money. Yeah, and not only that, but it hurts the story because a lot of this feels like a lot of the stuff that they presented is interesting in theory, but the movie never really follows through on it. And that's kind of, like a lot of things just kind of feel forced in or crossed over, or like it's an opening and conclusion with any, without actual, any actual kind of momentum in the middle of the film. Um, one of the one one of the things and I get into the movies. One of the things that I really liked was the relationship between Lois and Clark in this film, where they felt like genuine friends. Not like you know, like you know, we mentioned with the first film, like he was kind of her stalker. In the second film, she finds out that he's Superman. In this one, they feel like general, you know, like she's looking out for him, he's looking out for her. You know, she wants him. You know, she wants. You know, she checks up on him when he's sick. She makes sure that you know, like. Um, I forget the news reporter lady, but it doesn't, you know, isn't taking advantage of him and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, her her name was uh, Ms. Warfield. Okay, Lacey Lacey Warfield. Uh, 
I watched this. I, I watched this movie twice for the commentary as well because the the commentary was with Mark Rosenthal, who otherwise I, I thought for sure that he was going to really build up the thing and make it seem like it was all like a wonderful film in hindsight. But no, he called it what it was. It was terrible, <laughs> and he otherwise cites uh, and and something you know to touch on what you were saying as I thought it was funny is basically. To, to show the time gap in between the original Superman movie and then Superman Four, is they 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 said that they couldn't go with Margot Kidder as the the main female lead. They had to bring in, uh, they had to bring in Muriel Hemingway who played as Ms. Warfield. And so I thought that that was funny to show you how much time passed in between each film. But I didn't get that. Like I don't I don't understand the idea idea behind it. I guess. It's like, like, how does that show time passing? Well, well, no, 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 not well on screen. It, it, it just looks bad. But, but as far as the actual film, I mean, Superman the movie, the first one, came out in '78, and this one came out in '87. '87. So yeah, basically ten years after the fact. So, so that's what I mean. Is, is it's like this is how long passed in between four movies. As far as on screen, no, you're, you're right. It, it, it's kind of weird because it's like no time was supposed to have really passed. I think. All of these movies probably, at least in my opinion, should probably take place in between five years of each other. Yeah, like, there's no real way to tell, like, that, and, I mean, that's not an issue. Um, I mean, there are, I mean, like, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man trilogy does a decent job of telling you how, like, he starts off in high school, he ends up way after it. The Batman trilogy does a decent job of that, but, I mean... Like, having an actual time gap isn't a huge difference. I just didn't know. I, I found it weird, because especially being at the end of Superman 3, which we talked about, where Donna Lang came to work for the Daily Planet, it was weird that she wasn't in this movie at all. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's there. Because, I mean, uh, you know, we mentioned this in Superman 3, is that the reason that they bought it on is because they felt that the Superman and there was... Our relationship had run its cost as far as romantic you went, and I can you know I can kind of see that, which is why I thought they played you know they made them friends in this movie, and even then, I mean she's still kind of pining after Superman, but it's not as bad as the first movie. Um, though for some odd reason they decided to bring back the amnesia kiss. <laughs> I felt like the really. Like I don't know if they were trying to bring back that grand feeling that the otherwise the uh, the original film had, but they otherwise kept trying to to bring back a lot of the original themes. Like, all right, let's let's bring back Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. Let's bring back like I felt like a lot of the plots, like them flying around and him dropping her and swooping back in and catching her. A lot of those things were like they were they were redoing what they did. They were trying to recreate the magic. Yeah, and, 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 and I don't mind that so much if, you know, like, they, they they put their own stamp on it. Like, yeah, a lot of it felt like, oh, here's the Superman and they're always dying bit again, and here it's him tossing missiles into space again. Um, so it, did, it just felt like, and this is the problem with the entire film, and it's not their fault, but it feels so that's grand because everything's on a shoestring budget, and it shows big time. Um the sign is the biggest offender because you can tell it's on a green screen every time. Yeah. It looks like the characters are pasted onto the backgrounds in the cheapest way. Like it doesn't bend in at all. Yeah, that's what that's what Rosenthal said in the commentary. He says, every time I see the green screen, I play the game of can you see the wires? 
<laughs> yeah, like there's there's one part in particular I remember when he's putting up when he's putting back the Statue of Liberty, where I guess I guess because of the Statue of Liberty or because of something, like his feet go invisible, because it's like blended into the background. <laughs> to, yeah, th- what that might have been to my to my knowledge is the reason uh, they they wanted the Superman suit initially to be darker than that light blue that it was. And because the reason why I had to go with a lighter blue was because when they, in the animation process they were losing his costume a lot. But this is obviously something that they didn't care about after they ran out of money. I mean, it was otherwise something that they really cared about in Superman one and two, but it was something that they you know didn't care about by now by Superman four. Yeah, and again, it's partially due to budgeting because uh, his costume doesn't stay consistent when, on the green screen. Whenever it's on the green screen, like, the eye on his chest becomes like a white. Yeah. Uh, so there's a you know a lot of this stuff that the budget just shows that this is a chiefly made movie. Um, that said, I think they did well with what they worked with as far as you know. Like, I enjoyed most of the. Okay, let me just kind of back up and you know go. I said I I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed the first maybe hour of this movie. Once they introduced the main bad guy, the movie falls to falls to crap for me. <laughs> Because um, I'm enjoying this stuff with the Daily Planet, because we haven't had a very Daily Planet centric shot in these in this franchise yet, and we won't it again for some time. Well, not yet again. Um, but the idea of some big shot tycoon buying up the paper just so he can kind of spread his propaganda makes sense. Yeah, what's funny is that was oddly prophetic. I mean, when you when they brought over the kid and were exploiting him for for uh, basically purposes to be able to sell papers, that's happening today. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing was is I I don't know if in the eighties is if that felt like an uncommon thing, but I can't imagine a world where they didn't exploit you know kids you know like they they do that crap all the time. Yeah, and I think it was something that we were moving towards because I think this was near the start of like the cable news networks because it's again something they kind of pair up with um, later on, not in the in the Bond franchise with. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies with a media mongrel who kind of controls the news for their own financial purposes. But yeah, I mean, that, and, and the thing is, he's never played up as evil because he isn't evil. He's just, he doesn't care about the truth. He cares more about profit and recognition and stuff like that. So it was interesting to see that dynamic. Um, and again, I think this more than anything kind of shows the time gap in the Superman films is that newspapers had kind of become stagnant in between. Because, you know, like, there's never been, there, in the three movies, there was no real science that the Daily Planet was suffering. We enter this movie, and it's in financial, it has financial problems. Um, which makes sense, because time has passed, and maybe, you know, you can't keep on writing about Superman every week. So, that was fun. I And I enjoyed, I enjoyed the actor in both, I enjoyed the father and daughter dynamic, especially being that she didn't really see her dad's idea, or, I guess she hung out with Clark too much, and she started to see the good in people. Yeah, um, that, that was otherwise the deleted ending. That <laughs> if you if you pay attention, Ms. Warfield has no conclusion in the version that they actually went with. Uh, James James jested on Twitter that that she ended up where Miss Textmacher ended up. <laughs> <laughs> and on a hang, they all <laughs> yeah yeah. And, but but the deleted scene explains where she's going to be leaving Metropolis, and then Clark hands her a uh, a business card and says, "Here, I know a realtor in Smallville," and it's sort of hinted at that he's going to sell her his farm. Oh, that was another shot that went nowhere. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, and yeah. so that otherwise, I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. 
Yeah, yeah. With with that, it really it does feel like most like most every plot line, either primary or secondary, feels like a big chunk of it was cut out because without finding out about that at the end, like like where she apparently buys up his farm, that opening scene is basically pointless. Yeah, I completely forgot that was a thing. Um, well, the, well, the purpose of well, the purpose of the purpose of that scene was to set up the fact that he uses the uh, the uh, the whatever to rejuvenate himself at the end. I mean, that was the purpose of the beginning. Was he went to the barn to go get that? The whatever, and that is a great name for it because it's never named <laughs> and it's never explained what his actual powers is. Yeah. <laughs> Nor is it explained why he decides to take it out at the start of the movie. <laughs> No. Yeah, it's like, for whatever reason, I don't know, he saw into the future. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's otherwise, like, like I mean, there was four or five huge moments where that happened in the movie. Like, for example, did you guys catch the moment where Lex Luthor and Lenny go over to uh, cut Superman's hair? Did either of you guys catch the big flaw in that? I was about to ask about that, because it holds up a thousand pound weight, and he cuts it with no problem. <laughs> And I'm like, God, that shouldn't work at all. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm guessing he was probably using, like, steel cable scissors or some kind, but even then... Yeah, he was using a bolt cutter, which wouldn't cut through that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, the Man of Steel marketing is going through the whole how does Superman shave thing, and they're, they're th- and here they're just like, nope, he's got these <laughs> steel, steel cutters, just, there we go. You know how much Irwin would pay to be able to uh, sponsor that these were the uh, <laughs> the clippers that cut Superman's hair? Oh man! Yeah, I, I, that that that. I mean, I knew about that going into the film. I joked about it um, on Friday or Thursday because I was checking out the like, the Bill Knight theory on how Superman shaves. I'm like, yeah, but actually, that has no problem with it because uh, the main villain of this film uh, is Nuclear Man, who is a clone. Of Superman, um, I guess I'm not really sure how that works, but we'll get to that in a second. But um, yeah, there are a lot of things that are just kind of set up and goes nowhere. Um, yeah, and I sort of then feel like the um, like the Daily Planet plotline was a bit like that. Like it goes on for a while with him with uh, uh what was her name? The girl, Miss uh, Miss Warfare. Warfare. Yeah. Yeah, I guess one of those plots where it's set up, and then, and then it goes on for a certain while, and then it doesn't, and then the whole Daily Planet thing doesn't show up in, until the end when um, Perry White's all like, "Oh, we fixed that now." Like I think yeah. that was bit, yeah, really yeah, characteristic I, of things just happening for a while, and then they either show up and now they're finished, or they'll forget about them completely. Yeah, I, I mean the 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 the, um, the Perry White thing was set up with him, like, walking downtown, but that's all we hear about it until the end. Like, there's no mention of it again until he comes back. And then there's the, um, what was the other one? Oh, like, the Daily Planet, the whole shot kind of disappears in the middle of the film, where it becomes a, like, Superman and Clark Kent are on a double date. And I thought that was actually kind of funny. It, yeah, it was very, it was very clever. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. Um, Superman with the, there was the scene with Clark and her at the gym, which I thought served no real purpose. But. Oh, and did you know? And I, I wouldn't have caught this at all if it wasn't for the commentary. Um, but he he had made the comment that what that was a reference to with the way that he threw the weights at the dude at, after the fact. That was a reference to those uh, Charles Atlas uh, advertisements in old Superman comics. Oh, oh really? 
Yes, that's what that was supposed to be. The writers threw that in as a special homage to uh, mm. to advertisements in old comic books. Oh, oh neat. I said that guy was hitting on him for a bit when he was calling him Clarky. And <laughs> shortest shorts I've ever seen on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but another scene that really did it need to be in the movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the, the double date. And then we kind of get to ex and his teen sidekick, his nephew, Denny? Lenny? Lenny Luther, yes. You know what's funny about the, the whole nephew thing is this was explored in All-Star Superman where he had a niece and she she was kick butt in that thing. And so the thing is, it's another example of where it could have been awesome. Like in Superman 3, it could have been Brainiac, whether the computer was Brainiac. It would have made more sense. And in here, they otherwise have the same example where they have Lenny Luther, and he could have been a, a kick butt character, but instead he was just more or less a dope. And I, you know, we kind of mentioned this before. Luther likes to associate himself with idiots. I think it makes him feel better about himself. Um, and I mean, I think he was better than Otis. I think he wasn't. He wasn't so much. He wasn't dumb as he was just kind of, I guess, self-centered and not like he was nonchalant. Nothing really faced him. Apparently, they yeah, did write. Like a... let... Go ahead. He does feel like that bizarrely stereotypical 80s teenager in a certain way. Like, you look at him just like, okay, did, did he walk out of a Nintendo catalog? Yeah. Did you guys catch that he was John Cryer? Yeah, the guy from Two and a Half Men, right? Yes. I, I didn't even notice it until afterwards I was reading, on Wikipedia, I was reading the uh, the cast, and I thought, Really? I, I, I saw the name in the opening credits. I'm like, I know that guy from somewhere. Yeah. And over the course of the movie, I'm like, oh, it's a guy from Two and a Half Men, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> you, wow. You, didn't, you didn't catch that? Yeah, I realized that just now, and, well, now I'm not going to be able to unsee that. <laughs> Jim, Broad- Jim Broadbent was in this movie, too? As who? Um, says uh, Jean-Pierre Dubois, so I guess he was one of the French guys. That I think Luther might have been conspiring oh, with to uh, oh, build the nuclear okay. missiles. Yeah. That, okay. Wow. Well, so so the otherwise the plot of this film was nuclear disarmament, which was otherwise Christopher Reeve's idea for the whole film. Which, as explained in the commentary, the idea was if there's such a powerful being in the universe as Superman, why doesn't he tackle the truly tough matters? Because it would be easy for him to to simply punch his way out of a mess, but could he? Could he solve it with intellectual uh, pursuit? Could could he solve a matter so so complicated as the Cold War and the nuclear crisis? And while it seems somewhat silly to be able to look back at it and say, oh yeah, the the Cold War, whatever, it was a very real thing at the time, and it was very scary. And in a lot of ways, it kind of resurfaced in the 21st century with WMDs. And so it otherwise is is a plot that makes sense. Why doesn't Superman just come in and fix these things? But politically speaking... And I mean, I don't want to touch too much on that, but open that can of worms. But politically speaking, if the whole movie is stupid, if there was if there were nukes before that somebody built, they're going to build nukes after he's done, which is where which is where the whole gimmick of the show comes in. Lex Luthor builds Nuclear Man, who's otherwise going to destroy Superman, and and basically Lex Luthor is going to use it as a means for uh, for for basically taking over the world. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and, and I actually like the idea because the idea of Superman 
um, this arm in the world and the world still kind of being in chaos has been explored before. And I think it's, you know, I actually, I, it was one of the parts I enjoyed in this film as well, is that the idea of him kind of overplaying his hand as it was and like what we like what they did was this was ha- this happened in Justice League and what yeah, happened with um, Justice League I think it was actually in the vi- like the very yeah, first storyline it was the fir- it was the first first episode as soon as he did this aliens invaded and we didn't have any means to protect ourselves so it's one of those things where like this makes sense and how they should have paid it up or what they should have done is that Luther should have formed nuclear man not just to go after Superman but to kind of become a threat that the world wasn't ready to set to save themselves from because Superman kind of nerfed them. And that never becomes an issue. It's like, oh, he did it, and you did this thing, so we're just going to drop this track completely. Because he, I mean, he gives a speech at the end talking about, like, how, um, you know, like he, you know, he, 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 it was wrong for him to do this, but there was never any point in the movie, as far as I could tell, that proved that he was wrong in doing it. Like, it, the, the main threat of this movie didn't come from his distant. This arm. Well, I mean, it did in the fact that you have to attach it to a nuke, but that, you know, he could have done that any other way. And he actually does in deleted scenes, because this isn't the first nuclear man in deleted scenes. This is a, a second or third version of him. Yeah, I guess apparently in the original, oh, yeah. I mean, like, story version they were making, there was, like, an earlier rough, rough like, nuclear man that was more in common with Bizarro, I guess. Yeah. Yes, yes, and I actually sadly watched the deleted scenes for that. We did not miss anything. That that was horrible. That whole thing was horrible. Bizarro, the idea of Bizarro in a comic book works, but the idea of Bizarro on screen just never works. It cannot work. And so I'm otherwise glad that they cut that out. Uh, going back to Nuclear Man real quick, I mean, going back to him for the first time, actually. What, I mentioned this when I was... Uh, it's like he's a quote-unquote clone of Superman. He comes to Superman's DNA. He has no black hair. I don't know where he gets brown hair from. And he's, I would, he's formed... He, go on. I would argue that that comes from his nuclear biochemistry. I mean, that's a possibility. I was also going to say, I don't know... I don't I mean, I don't know if you have to mention it or I don't remember. Is Why does he grow into a fully developed human? I don't know, uh, and also, and also, don't ask me why he has Gene Hackman's voice. I don't know. <laughs> Gene Hackman's voice. He has a cape, and for some reason, and this has nothing to do with the. I mean, it has something to do with the movie. But who decided it was a good idea to give somebody a fresh-colored costume? I don't know. It was so <laughs> jarring to look at because it seems he really did think he was naked. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. I, I think. I wonder if that was part of the budget. Like they were like, okay, we just we don't have to film him in a costume. We'll just kind of put a cape over him, and nobody would notice. Because most of the time, it looked like he wore no pants. Yeah. yeah. Well, My the guess of why he was blonde was, I guess, maybe in the same way that the, that they had the failed kryptonite duplicate in Superman 3. That this was, like, sort of an incomplete clone in terms of, like, the way that... Because he was modified with the nuclear energy el- aspects, so that because of that, that changed him in some way or another, which, I guess, resulted in blonde hair as well, the original visual indicator of evil. Well, the original idea was they were going to have Christopher Reeve play both roles. He was going to play as both Nuclear Man and Superman. But they, but the problem was is they would have to re-go back and, and through editing and everything else, get it so that he, they were both on screen. He was fighting each other, fighting himself. So they otherwise said, well, due to budget constraints, we'll just go ahead and hire Mark Pillow 
uh, to go ahead and portray uh, Nuclear Man, and uh, they and they also justified it by saying, you know, we we kind of we kind of had this happen in Superman Superman Three, where he at the junkyard scene, which we talked about. Yeah, which I which I kind of get. You don't want to rehash that. I mean, because this movie was not rehashing anything from the previous Superman films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I, I get hiring somebody else. But here's the thing. If you're going to dub his voice anyhow, when I don't know why they did Luther and not Christopher Reeves, if you're going to dub his voice anyhow, why not hire somebody who looks like Christopher Reeves then? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I heard I someone who looks like Christopher Reeves. Is that foreshadowing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, I'm sure they had stunt doubles for Christopher Reeves. They could have had one of... Like, he's not acting because his voice is somebody else. He just has to... Yeah, yeah. Which, well, anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I, I watched this, again, years and years ago. And I actually, at the time, maybe my sensibilities were a little less developed, whatever. I viewed, actually, Nuclear Man as an equal threat to Superman, which was what he was supposed to be viewed as. But in hindsight, like, when I rewatched it... I never believed that any chart that Nuclear Man could actually defeat Superman. Well, I think I mean I I, I enjoyed his opening sequence. Well, one we get this wonderful scene between Luther and Superman where he's like inviting him over for drinks and they're just having a casual chit chat, um, which I thought was a fantastic scene because I'm like this is like ten minutes of the hero on the phone just kind of chilling out. I got surprised Luther didn't offer him dinner at that point. <laughs> But then you get the first major action scene between these two, and it's just—it's a very different take from because it, it's not a fight; it's an actual—it's like a cat and mouse game where Nuclear Man is just kind of causing all this type of destruction, and Superman is just following behind trying to save people. And it's a nice little thing. We get some odd powers. Superman has a lot of odd powers in this franchise. We get, we get the greatest two. Superman power since his logo throw, Brick Vision. Brick Vision. <laughs> yes. After a nuclear man destroys a chunk of the Great Wall of China, Superman fires some kind of vision and it repairs the wall. Yes, it could theoretically be some kind of telekinesis in the same way Zod had it in the second movie, but I'm going to assume it's brick vision. Okay, because that's the logical next step. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, it comes down to what you mentioned before, Earl. It's just he has circumstantial powers. Whatever he needs at the moment, he has. But he has super speed. He could have literally just thrown across and done the same thing. Um, yeah. But then it, but then it had to come back again because, and this is, this, I guess, because of the brick vision, it doesn't seem as weird. But he also has telekinesis later on because they both have telekinesis later on because during the fight in Metropolis, he like, ho- hovers people in the air and then Superman uses his telekinesis to throw those people to the ground. Yeah, and then also there were there was that moment where he was using his heat vision to help warm up Lois's goose, and he otherwise like used the heat vision through the walls somehow. And also, if you remember that scene where where uh, where uh, Lacey Warfield is, is standing around saying, "Well, I wonder where Clark is," Superman staring intently at the wall, and then all of a sudden the doorbell rings, and then when they avert their attention to the door, he flies around and becomes Clark Kent. Nobody rang the doorbell. And so the thing is, he used this. He, he used. He used. I didn't even the, think about the doorbell. <laughs> he used the telekinesis thing over and over and over. So I'm. I, I'm sorry, James. I do not believe it was brick vision. 
I, I think the only reason he would say it was Brook Vision was because he actually has a special blue beam coming out of his eyes. Yeah. Which he doesn't in any other scene. Well, I, all right. Well, okay. I'll give you that one. There we but go. Yeah, Brook Vision confirmed. <laughs> but yes, I mean, how often does that power come in handy? I don't know. Oh. I mean... <laughs> Every time national ancient monuments get damaged in some way or another. But yes, um, this fight ends with uh, and this is the this is the part where I think this is what I remembered most in the movie is Nuclear Man's nails, and this scene ends with Superman trying to put back the statue of Liberty and getting scratched in the neck, and for some odd reason his cape falls off and everybody assumes that he's dead. Well, that was supposed to be a symbolic of his death, was what the writers explained in the commentary. Yes, except his death is really crossed over. It's like the newspaper runs <laughs> it. This newspaper has the fastest turnaround ever because okay. like, papers are printed up as soon as things happen in this movie. Oh, it's got the same thing Superman, Superman 2 had going for it where it's like just stuff is just happening. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, They're getting Superman ready for the bank. future where they have to report things instantly in an internet age. It's like, what? Superman's doing something? Quick, start the presses. Because <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, is that cave was just sold to that company, but they already have Superman dead as their front page cover. Yeah. <laughs> so, mid, yeah. Mid, midway through the article, they changed, the, you know, they, they changed theme to, this just then had Superman alive. And uh. apparently when Superman gets sick, or when he's dying, he gets gray hair, because that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I otherwise did think that the uh, that the makeup looked really good. Oh, I thought, and I thought the scene with him and always in the apartment was great again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which which but, actually goes which actually goes back and sort of explains a little bit about the super kiss. And apparently, this was Christopher Reeve Christopher Reeve's idea was that she, in the back of her mind, knows that he's Superman, but she went, but it somehow never comes comes to her. Like it's in her, the back of her mind, sort of in her subconscious. But it never comes to the front. Like, she never puts it together when she's actually in front of him. So that scene there where all of a sudden she's talking about, you know, if I had one last thing to say to Superman, I guess I'd say thank you for protecting us and whatever. She knew at that moment she, that she was talking to Superman. But after she, she finishes talking with him, all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, I was just visiting to give some chicken noodle soup to Clark. And she leaves. Yeah. And so that was a really interesting thing that they explored in that, was the fact yeah. that was the fact that she remembers everything else. Yeah, and they kind of, I mean, they do play it up in an earlier scene where she does remember everything else. She remembers his, you know, his Kryptonian name and everything. Yeah, in the, but flying, in the, in the flying scene, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like she remembers it, but she doesn't remember it overtly, so she has to have, like, a trigger. Because, you know, like she says that she knows when Superman's in trouble, which is why she found Clark there, which I thought was really odd because Clark's in his apartment, as far as I know. Yeah, well, that would be the logical first place to look. <laughs> I, I just knew you would be here. Like, if he was like at a random chicken joint or something like that, I can understand. But yeah, most people usually are in their apartment when they're sick. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I guess the last time they probably saw him was when he was with at the at the at the double date with them. So I guess that would be a little weird. Was the fact that he disappeared from the date? So I guess maybe maybe, but that's otherwise giving them way too much credit. Yeah. Um. And then we get that magical crystal, which we mentioned earlier, which had no name. And we don't really know what it does. It's just that the Kryptonian Council... No, not the not Kryptonian Council is earlier in the movie. All we know is that 
once he uses it, he'll he'll live, but all of Krypton's memories will be dead. And let's be honest, this is like the third time they've killed Kryptonian memories <laughs> in the franchise, so it's not a big deal. Um, and this is this and this is where the movie goes downhill for me, especially as far as like character motives and stuff goes, because. Nuke Man sees a picture of Yacy on a newspaper, and he decides instantly he's in love with her. And next thing you know, he's in Metropolis, and he's like, where is she? And Superman's like, you will never find her. And I'm like, wait, wait, time out. One, why is nobody surprised that Superman's alive? Two, <laughs> how does Superman know who he's talking about? Well, he all right. just faking it. Yeah, there there might have been more explained in the deleted scene because another thing that happened was the the bizarro attempt that Luther had apparently developed a crush on Miss Warfield because because that scene where she had made the comment about going out to get some drinks or whatever that night uh, she made that comment somewhere earlier in the movie I believe that was when she tried to seduce him at the Daily Planet and then anyway so then so apparently that's when he had his first confrontation with the bizarro. And Bizarro otherwise developed a crush on Ms. Warfield, and so then that bled through to the uh, to the second incarnation of uh, Bizarro or Nuclear Man, and that's how he had the crush on her. So that was otherwise something that I mean, it was jarring to you the fact that that uh, Superman knew to be there and to stop him and whatever, but it was more jarring to me that he had this he saw her or her face in the paper and just oh yeah 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 and why. Why is her face on the paper again? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how often a newspaper owner puts themselves on the cover of the newspaper or whatever. Oh, no, but that yeah. was it. It was the new editor in charge of the Daily Planet. I think that was it. Okay. And the other thing was, as far as I know, Superman didn't know his weakness at that point. I mean, he knew, but he didn't find out in the movie. <laughs> Because he tricks him into going to, into the elevator so that he kind of drains his energy, but there's no hint that Superman figured out that his weakness is well, lack of sunlight. Well, yeah, but he he did say that. I mean, I, I I've watched this twice, so forgive me. But he did say this afterwards to Luther. He says, like, how did you do it? And he says, well, when I had some time to think about it, I got to thinking, and then somehow he had some way of knowing that if he was powered by the sun, then 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 not being in the sunlight must reverse him. And oh, so he, see, I thought, when he said that, I thought he was talking about the moon scene when he drops it, because, he, you know, at the climax of the movie, he drops him into a uh, nuclear reactor. So I thought that's what he was talking about when he said I had some, because he was buried alive for like two minutes. Um, so that's what I thought he was referring to. <laughs> yeah. Well, then otherwise, and then the other thing is, how is it that that... All right, here's the thing. Superman buried Nuclear Man on the dark side of the moon. The dark side of the moon never sees sun. So how is it all of a sudden the sun comes around and the Nuclear Man comes out? First, big gaff. Secondly, how was it that this all happened in the matter of minutes where Superman was still flying back to Earth? The, I mean, those... I'm sorry? Oh, no, because Superman stopped to put, fix the American flag because that's what you do when you're on the moon. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and because of his of his super strength, he realized that just by the very landing on the moon, it's a um, rotation off in some manner or another that causes the, the dark side moon to rotate towards the sun. Yeah, I don't. And I, I was also wondering, and this is, this, this, again, this is just of a gaffe and more of a character motivation. 
is that Nuclear Man gets to jump on Superman, and instead of cutting him with his nails again, he decides to tackle him, and then once Superman gets up, he's, like, he, sm- he tries to smash him with the rock, which I don't know why Superman dodged, because it wouldn't hurt him. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he tries to force his nails into him, and I'm just thinking, like, you had this entire jump on him, <laughs> and you decide to waste it by tacking the guy to the ground? Yeah, the fighting um, scenes were super, super lame. Yeah. The fighting scenes were super, super lame. <laughs> Which is weird, it's because he's Superman equals in almost every regard, so it should have been a big and brutal fight and not this really... It gives really lame, and then we kind of get... He buries Superman alive, and then he flies back to Earth to get this chick because everybody in the Daily Planet is fine with the fact that Superman and this guy just wrecked through their building so they're going on business as usual. So he bursts through her office, grabs her... <laughs> And flies into space, which she can breathe in, apparently. Yeah, why? What was the point, though? I don't know. <laughs> I assume he was taking her off to make nuclear babies? On the- I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the problem with the whole movie is, as, as, as you said, sort of the first half, sort of, Sort of part one and part two of the movie so, sort, of, sort of makes sense. It's sort of, sort of an act three where everything falls off. Yeah. And, because it's like it's built. I think part of it was because like the the main threat was Luther, but you had to have a villain for Superman to fight. So like the first half was building up the characters, building up Luther, and then like this this guy comes in and he doesn't fit into the movie, and his roles never he doesn't have a character arc, <laughs> and he he becomes the thrust of the film, and it's just really jarring because almost everything else is dropped in favor of it. Because yeah. uh, as you mentioned. Um, she, I don't think Ace is in this film after this scene. No, after Superman flies her to Earth, she's gone. That's it. And it's like, okay, so he had a crush on her, Superman. And we don't even mention the fact of what the hell Superman moving the moon <laughs> in front of the sun on a... <laughs> with he's, due he's, to the Earth. Yeah, he literally changed <laughs> astronomy as we know it that day. <laughs> Man, and it's perfectly fine. We see no type of natural disasters occurring from it. It's just like, oh, it's in a kiss. Whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you guys think of Gene Hackman? He knows how to aim the moon in such a way that the eclipse is exactly over where Nuclear Man is. Yeah. Well, he was out in space, which Superman apparently knew, because he picked him up. Um, yeah. What did you guys think of Gene Hackman in this movie? I thought, I, well, one, I thought it was weird that they just dropped the whole toupee thing. And yeah, I know. That was something that otherwise irritated me, too, because it was like, he was always bald. And then in this one, he just as otherwise, you know, obviously, is he looked, you know, balding in certain places. But they dropped the whole toupee thing. That was weird. Yeah. And I was about to say, I don't know why, because Gene Hackman's hair wasn't much better. <laughs> no. And then even uh, Lenny makes a comment about about a toupee when they were breaking in to, to get Superman's strand of hair. So they otherwise referenced the toupee, but then he never shaved his head? I don't know. Yeah, um, he was also a lot more subdued than he was in the previous two movies, which I kind of enjoyed. I like the scene where, and I always have been into that, like the dog, his personal dog whistle when he uses a, a frequency that all you Superman can hear, even though he puts himself on a giant video screen anyhow. Yeah. So, I don't get the point of that. 
I otherwise, and I've I've criticized Gene Hackman and all of the prior Man of Steel casts, but for whatever reason, this was the one I was finally able to enjoy Gene Hackman. It was when I sort of, and I referenced this to James also on Twitter, it was when I accepted him as sort of Dr. Strangelove, sort of in that same black comedy sort of way, that's when I was able to accept Gene Hackman in this. Mm-hmm. It was when I was able to accept that he was more or less a comedic role in the face of all of this turmoil. That's when I was able to say, okay, I get it, and I enjoy him in this one. I would say that almost I enjoyed almost every character in this more than their previous um, outings. Like, I enjoyed always in this role. I thought Margaret Kiddo, a person he's speaking, I thought she had the finest in this film. Um, Jimmy had a bigger role, and he wasn't like Supergirl, where he was kind of that creepy kid. Perry even had a role, because Perry, I don't even know if he had enough talking roles in the first three movies to make up for this film. If, yeah. Even though you can also tell that the, the uh, Jackie Cooper was getting old by this point. Yeah, I know. That that goes back to what I said. You can tell that a lot of time has passed in between these films. And, and on screen, it's supposed to be just as if, you know, life as you knew it. So. But yeah, it was a... Um, I, I enjoy, like I said, uh, most of it, most of the character interactions when it's Superman, when it's character and always Superman and always when it's the White House crew, when it's you know Jimmy and always and Perry and Clark, and even the uh, Wa Wa Hoffs, um, I enjoyed all of that. It's when this movie tries, it, it's when it becomes when it, it switches over to become a kid action movie that it completely falls off the rails. Partially because the villain's stupid, and partially because they they don't have the budget to make it an interesting Nick and action movie. Right. If it's all right, I'd like to actually read something from Wikipedia. This is from Reeves' autobiography, Still Me, uh, describing uh, the filming of Superman 4. He writes, We were also hampered by budget constraints and cutbacks in all departments. Canon Films had nearly 30 projects in the works at the time, and Superman 4 received no special consideration. For example, Connor and Rosenthal, the writers of the movie, wrote a scene in which Superman lands on 42nd Street and walks down the double yellow lanes to the United Nations, where he gives a speech. If that had been a scene in Superman 1, we would have actually had a shot on 42nd Street. Dick Donner would have choreographed hundreds of pedestrians and vehicles and cut to people gawking out of office windows at the sight of Superman walking down the street like the Pied Piper. Instead, we had to shoot at an industrial park in England in the rain with about 100 extras, not a car in sight, and a dozen pigeons thrown in for atmosphere. Even if the story had been brilliant, I don't think that we could have ever have lived up to the audience's expectations with this approach. Which I think is otherwise too true, and it describes the perf- describes the whole movie perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of good ideas that's hampered by budget, that's hampered by decisions, that they had they had to cut corners. And I think for what they had, they had a good they had a good foundation um, that just never really. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just a good foundation that just kind of fell to the wayside. Yeah. So, to my knowledge, you know, Christopher Reeve was the man who brought this whole thing together, and there was such good hopes for it, but it just all fell apart. I mean, so... Yeah. And, and, and so I, and so it goes with Superman, really. I mean, for every reason, the only ever writers in comics, and, and, and for everything that Superman's associated with, we only ever get good ambitions, but terrible stories. Yeah, and I think the idea, I think part of the idea was that 
there was a bunch of stuff cut and a lot of stuff that's cut from this that would have made it into Superman 5 that would have been directed by Christopher Reeves. Um, and, yeah, so... Yes. Yeah, the only reason that he even actually did this film is because they offered him to be able to, like, story input and also the potential to direct Superman 5, and they would produce whatever film that he brought to them. And so it's like, so you can see why we did it, but then none of it worked out for him, so... Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, they basically betrayed everything they agreed on. They gave him story input, but they cut his budget. They didn't make a Superman 5. He did get the movie that he wanted to direct, though. I think it's something like Street Smarts. Yeah, that was a huge bomb, too. That, that didn't even bring in, like, a tenth of what they put into it. Yeah, so, I mean, what what can you do? <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> Anyhow, it is that time again. Um, Superman 4, A Quest for Peace. The Quest for Peace. What do you give it out of 7? James. Um, for some reason, I've decided I'm going to give this a 4. I think... With a, with a bunch of facets dragged down by subparts again, but at the same time, I think with the shorter running time, it's easy, it's a lot easier to enjoy it as sort of a piece of camp. Partially because of the gloriously silly action scenes. Yeah. So I would say yes, that I enjoy this more than three or Supergirl, but not anywhere near as much as one or two. Okay, uh, David. Um. I'm going to give this a three. I, I would give it a two just because it really, I mean, we, we sort of highlighted everything that was bad about it. There were things that I liked about this movie. I otherwise like the fact that they sort of, as you said earlier, Earl, you had made the comment about uh, sort of them exploring the concept of the life uh, life in Metropolis and the Daily Planet. And and they and it was really prophetic, a lot of the things that they claimed. You know, Clark didn't want to sell his farm because... Because he didn't think we needed another shopping mall. That's more or less happened. Um, he, he the newspaper was dying, and so they had this media mogul come in, and he's going to take everything over. That more or less happened. They the whole nuclear and the scare about it and everything that happened. We're sort of reliving it today. I mean, the thing is, the it was really prophetic. There were good things about it. You can see where the substance was good. But at the end of the day, it was just a really, it really failed on all measures. And the only thing that really redeems it is the fact that it was not two hours. Which actually works against it as well, because a lot of the ideas are half-baked. And if they had time to expand on it, it might have been a better movie. But then we would have had to put up with more of this movie, so it's a double-edged sword. I am going to go to three. I enjoyed... I think if you can watch like the first 45 minutes, 50 minutes of this movie and end it, it'd be fine. It's a good, you know, it's a good, fun Superman film in that regard. We didn't mention this either, is that I also think that this is probably, since the origin, since maybe one or two, this is the best film that kind of balances, it kind of balances the comedy where it's not too campy and over the top, but it does have its moments where it's charming and fun and actually engaging. Uh, we mentioned the gym scene before. We mentioned the double date scene. Those are really good comedic scenes, I thought. Right. Um, and it wasn't too sapstick. It wasn't too goofy. It felt natural. Um, 
once they introduce Nuclear Man and once that becomes the focus of the movie, though, it all falls off rails because every subplot that they kind of built up has to be dropped because he doesn't work into any of it. Luther doesn't work into any of it. And it's like they, 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 they don't have the time or the budget to revisit those themes. It, the nuclear plot kind of gets dropped. The daily planet plot gets dropped. The AC and Clark's relationship gets dropped. Um, Superman it always gets dropped. Even Luther gets dropped for the most part. The next time we see him in the climax is when Superman um, catches him and then he's trying to feed a city. Yeah. And that's about it. So it's like all these things kind of get dropped for the last half an hour of this film, and that's when it suffers, especially being that they don't have the budget to make an engaging Superman and Nuclear Man do because it just looks cheesy. The moon fight looks awful. Their flying looks... The flying was the worst part because it's all green screen, and it's obvious. Like This is 10 years after the original, and this looks worse than the original does. Yeah, that, that was, to me, the amazing part was the fact that I mean, I always, even going back and rewatching it, I thought that the green screen and everything, all the all of the special effects were amazing in the Superman the movie, and then and I and I'm, I never really thought much of it in Superman two or three, but in four it was super noticeable. And again, that was the budget stuff. But but from somebody who didn't doesn't know any of the production notes, somebody who just came in came in and watched it. <laughs> this this would have been so bad. I mean, we're we're kind of giving it a lot of leeway because we know about everything else. But to somebody who just watched this, this was really really bad. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think this movie, at least for me, um, um, benefited from a case of lowered expectations because I wasn't expecting much. I had seen this before. We actually didn't start off with that this week. I had seen this before. I remembered some of the, you know, I can remember Nuclear Man. I remember the hair. Um, self-plot and stuff like that. But, you know, coming back to this, especially after Supergirl and Superman 3, um, it was a, you know, it was a, it was refreshing, it was fun, it was funny, it just had, it just had its heart in the right place, but no budget to back it up. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, it's getting a 3 from me. Um, so any final thoughts before you begin to wrap? Brick Vision. It better show up in Man of Steel. Brick Vision. <laughs> So yes, we'll be back next week with Superman Returns. Now, I don't have any up for this film. <laughs> Maybe after watching the previous four films in Supergirl, I come, will come around to this. Um, <laughs> but we shall see when we, get, when we get there. So for James, David, and myself, this has been Man of Steel Cast 5. Woo!